Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So we were talking about Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. And you said you haven't been able to watch very many this season. We have had an incredibly busy season. So normally on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. like literally that night, we will put in White Christmas and that's how we kick off the season. We didn't do that. Mm -hmm. We didn't get to. Uh, We have not self-consciously sat down. We caught a little bit of It's a Wonderful Life on cable at one point. So, Lord willing... This week, as Christmas approaches, we're going to have some time to just take a breath and watch some of the classics. So what about you all? How's your season been going? Yeah, about the same. Uh, We have not been able to watch very many Christmas movies. So hard transition. We're talking about the (laughs) Advent Sunday of Love today. (laughs) We're talking about uh, how God loves us, and we're looking at John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So on Sunday, you shared this passage and several others from John's gospel and the epistles centered on loving God and loving each other. John, as you pointed out, is even called the beloved disciple throughout his gospel. So why why are John's writings so focused on love? So John is different from the other three gospels. So the other three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. John writes differently. John records different events in Jesus's life because he has a stated purpose. Um, as in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John carefully put together all of the, 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 the account, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, the account of Jesus' life in a way to illustrate that Jesus is the Son of God who welcomes all people to come to find forgiveness of sin and everlasting life in him. So John's, John's gospel is different from the others, uh, gives us a different perspective, and frankly, I love John's gospel. Uh, we also know that John wrote the three epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and that John uh, was the author of the Revelation. And so uh, John gives us this amazing perspective of who Jesus is, um, really seeking to show us that Jesus is God in flesh. He is um, he is showing us the deity of Christ uh, and, and the, the, the universal call to come to Christ and find life. Um, John uses different words more than the other gospel writers. Paul ends in the Moody Handbook of Theology tells us that in his gospel, John employs certain words more than the other writers. He uses the word light 21 times, the word life 35 times, the word love 31 times, as well as other phrases or words that he uses more than the other gospel writers, such as son of God, believe, world, 
witness, truth. So, so John really focuses in on some of these themes. Now, I don't know that I can give a reason as to why John focuses on love more than the others do. You know, I, don't, I think the first time I really noticed that John was speaking about himself in the third person, referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, I, I, I kind of found that to be a little bit... Um, a little bit bold, maybe a little bit of hubris there. Like mm-hmm. they, he loved me more than he loved the others, and and I don't think that that's what John was communicating. I think that I think that he was just recognizing the love that Jesus had for him and the love that he felt from Jesus, whether he was being uh, admonished, rebuked, uh, or praised and and uh, encouraged. That he felt the love of Christ and he wanted to convey that love to others, and then. He also heard firsthand Jesus' command repeatedly to love others. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the guy didn't even ask about what is the second, and Jesus threw it in. But then John records in John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you. Um, and you actually did a little research and and pulled up the theologian Jerome. Yeah. So tell us what Jerome said. Yeah, so the church father Jerome records an, an old church legend about John and his old age. So Jerome says, John used to offer in different sayings nothing but little children love one another. At last the disciples and brethren who were present, tired of the fact that they had always heard the same thing, said, Teacher, why do you always say this? John made a worthy response, because it is the master's commandment, and if it alone is done, it is enough. I just love that story. It's it's incredible. Of course, it's a legend. It's not scripture, um, but there are some great things that we can pick up from church history and the early fathers and all those sorts of things. And because it was the master's commandment, and if it alone is done, it is enough. Mm -hmm. And you do see, I mean, Jesus said, do this. as you as you love one another, love one another as I have loved you, and, and then there's a whole study there. I mean, you, you you find no shortage of material in the New Testament. Say, well, how does Jesus love us? Well, and that's instructive. Not only is that is that wonderful to hear to know that Jesus loves us in these ways, but it's instructive as to how we ought to love one another. I completely agree. Paul Philip Levertov puts it this way. The visible presentation of this love is the death of Christ. The love of God is concentrated in the Messiah, his son, and only through him he loves the world. So he's thinking about, Paul Philip Levertov is, all of these themes running through John with the son being in the father and the father in the son, and mm-hmm. you know we trying to abide in the son, and being in the son, we're in the father. And just trying to put these connections together, it, I, I just love that, that you know it's his death that shows us the love that he had for us, but also the Father that the Father gave him so that we could have eternal life through Christ. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. I, I'll never forget going to a youth camp as a youth pastor, and the speaker had a bunch of file folders. You know what I'm talking about, those yeah. little manila-looking manila yeah. file folders. And on one of them, he had the Father, and on another, he had Christ, and on another, he had Christ, and on another, he had you, the mm-hmm. word you. And referencing John's gospel, he talked about how many times the Bible tells us that Christ is in the Father, but Christ is in us, 
and we are in Christ. So he took the Christ folder and he put it inside the you folder. Then he took that and put it inside the Christ folder. Then he took that and put it inside the Father folder. And he said, this is the security that you have as a believer in Jesus. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Christ is in the Father. The Father has a hold of you and will not let you go. And I thought that was just, that was I guess 23 years old when I and I was so gripped by that analogy. I've used it several times, um, but that's the sort of love that God has for us. It's this it's this redemptive, protective love that 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 will not let us go. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful and it's deep. The, I mean, the more you sit and think about it, the more complex it really is. That all the relationships that we're we're discussing here. Yeah. That leads me into another question from John. So on Sunday, the Morgan family read from John 1 about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So another passage that we discuss often, we we quote it often, but what does it really mean? What does the word, Word, actually mean in this passage? How is Jesus the Word made flesh? Okay, so I have to tell you, and I told you before we started recording, that this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, um, one of my favorite topics of discussion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very best to be succinct here. But we have in John's prologue, the prologue to the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Um, When I first read that, I thought what most people might think, that the Word is the Bible. So in the beginning was the Bible. Well, how's that work? Uh, Because uh, the Bible was written over several centuries by many human authors as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that can't be true. So what do we do? We, We look to the context of the passage to help us understand. John takes us back to the beginning. His, his opening line is similar to the opening line of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, John takes us back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. So we, we have this mystery of what is the Word, but we learn as we continue to read that not only was the Word in the beginning, but the Word was with God. When you go back to the original language in which John was written, Greek, you see that the phraseology there is the word was prostantheon. That's, that's, that's what we translate with God. What John is saying is the word is in a face-to-face equal relationship with God. And then in the next phrase, he says, and the word was God. So, so there's this mysterious way in which uh, the word and God are the same. They, they, they are together, united, echad. They are one. Um, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So then he stops and talks about John the Baptist for a minute. Then he comes back to the true light who was given to his people. He was given to his own, yet his own did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. And then we have verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son, there's a clue, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, not it, him, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Here we go. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's the identity of the Word. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Theologian J.I. Packer, in his classic entitled Knowing God, sets forth why in the world John would use this language anyways. So what does the Bible mean, Packer asks, when it calls Jesus the Son of God? Is Christianity polytheistic, as the Muslims or Jews might say it is? Was Jesus, though in a class by himself among created beings, not personally divine as the Father is? This belief was held in the early church by the Arians and is held contemporarily by Unitarians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and others. But Packer would say the Gospel of John affirms numerous times in its first three chapters that Jesus is the Son of God. But John knew there would be a problem with people understanding this. So check this out. This this just this blows my mind. <laughs> Packer says the phrase son of God was tainted with misleading associations in the minds of readers of the time during which the gospel was written. Jewish theology used it as a title for the expected human Messiah. Greek mythology told of many sons of God who were supermen born of a union between a god and a human woman. In neither of these cases did the phrase convey the thought of personal deity. In both, indeed, it excluded it. John wanted to make sure that when he wrote of Jesus as the Son of God, he would not be understood, or that is misunderstood, in such senses as these. He wanted to make it clear from the outset that the sonship which Jesus claimed and which Christians ascribed to him was precisely a matter of personal deity, and nothing less. So listen to this. Packer is continuing. There would not be, however, a misconception of the term word. Old Testament readers would pick up the reference at once. God's word in the Old Testament is his creative utterance, his power in action fulfilling his purpose. The Old Testament depicted God's utterance, the actual statement of his purpose, as having power in itself to effect the thing purposed. Genesis 1 tells us how at creation, God said, let there be, and there was. And then in Psalms, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. He spoke and it came to be. So Packer says the word of God is thus God at work. And he goes on, and, and, and I would just recommend that you read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, but he goes on and gives this very detailed analysis of the identity of the word in John chapter 1, verses 1, 3, 4 and 14, uh, and then again in 18, to really help us understand that Jesus is the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, um, through whom all things were made, uh, who brings the light into the world uh, that, that the darkness cannot understand or comprehend, and who has made flesh to dwell among us so that we might behold the glory of Almighty God through Him. It's a beautiful thing. It is. It is beautiful, and I, I hope listeners are geeking out as much as I'm geeking out just listening to all of these concepts. Me and, too. <laughs> and, and as you know, Jeff, I get really excited when we look at the the Jewish nuances in the New Testament and that these gospel writers are just employing that, you know, when you know what they're talking about, then you're like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. you know, that's so, it's so real, it's so true, but it's just so authentic. You know, this was not fabricated at a later date. This is real. That's right. Know? That's exactly right. And, and, and you know, you say all the time, you'll hear Christians say, well, we have the New Testament. Why do we need the Old Testament? And it's like, oh, you can't understand the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament. It, you know, and it's the, the richness of God as he's, as he's put all this together, because it wasn't as if God just one day said, you know what, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try something different. Jesus, you're up. <laughs> you yeah. know, that, that wasn't it at all. Um, 
This was the plan from the beginning. So before the foundation of the world, this was the plan. And God would magnify himself through sending Christ so that we might know God in a way that we previously could not know him. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in me and you as believers in Christ. The one that the Old Testament believers, those who had faith, the one that they longed to see and longed to know and would go to great lengths to visit, he dwells within us. They, we don't have to go to the temple. We are the temple. The, the depth and richness of understanding the New Testament as we look back to the Old Testament and see it all works together. God's not just making this up as he goes along. This is all part of a grand narrative, and, and the narrative is continuing to unfold until one day Christ returns. And then the narrative will continue to unfold, um, but we will see such great glory um, expressed when all of these things continue to be shown. So that takes us into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, who were the Magi and why did they seek Jesus? You know, this is such a great question. So if you've got your Bible nearby, I would encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 2. And the story of the visit of the Magi or the wise men is recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We believe a lot of things about the Magi that are nowhere in those 12 verses. And and so I want to give you what the Bible says about the wise men. It's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. What do we not know about the wise men? Well, first, we don't know how many wise men there were. The Bible nowhere says that three wise men came from the east to visit Jesus. It says wise men came from the east to visit Jesus. Why do we call them three wise men? Well, there were three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh. And we don't know exactly when they came. Really, you you have about a two-year window because they're, they're no longer talking about the baby. They're talking about the child. So is there some sense in which Jesus has grown up a little bit? They're not coming to a stable or a cave. They're coming to a house where the child is. So something has changed. So you've got some truth there. And the other thing we don't know is their names. So we don't know that there are three of them. You say, well, I thought it was Melchior, Balthazar, and Gaspar. Well, no, they just made that up. Okay, that's all tradition. We don't have that from Scripture. But what what they did was they studied the stars. And they came because there was some sort of uh, event in the sky that was heralding something important to them. So David Platt would tell us uh, that another thing we know about the wise men is their prominence. High-ranking officials with power and influence. When we picture these men, we shouldn't think of them as an isolated stargazing club. These men were well-respected with roles in both religion and politics in their own land. And Platt there quotes Blomberg in his Matthew, um, page 62. He said, They almost certainly had a high position wherever they came from. Their position is evident in the wealth that they brought with them, and they probably didn't travel alone. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the Magi, but what I can tell you is that hymn that we love to sing, that Christmas carol, We Three Kings, 
is not accurate. <laughs> I mean, it just is what it is. Uh, I still love the song. We sing it here. I sing it again. Don't let that ruin your. You know, I have several nativity scenes in my house. They all can. They all include wise men. I'm not sure that they should, but they do. Um, and I still sing the song with gusto um, because what do we ultimately know about these wise men? They worshipped Jesus. How did they worship him? Well, they worshiped him by bringing him gifts of great value. Gold, which is fit for a king. Frankincense, which is fit for a deity. And myrrh, which is ominous of how a body would be treated after it died. And so I still love the story of the wise men and celebrate the way that they worship Jesus. So, Jeff, you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? I have mumbled multiple times. Yes, sir. Yeah. So at the very beginning, you have this scene with magicians who are telling Pharaoh that, you know, there's going to be this Messiah type figure who's going to come and save the Jewish people from slavery. Mm -hmm. So that's not explicit in Exodus. It does not mention that. It just goes from, you know, the Hebrew people becoming numerous to Pharaoh trying to kill off children. Mm -hmm. But it's in Jewish tradition that was around at the time of Jesus' birth that there were magicians that gave this message to the Pharaoh. So Matthew connects some of these dots from Jewish tradition of his time and says that there were these men, these wise men, who were telling the king, Herod, about the birth of the king of the Hebrews, mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. So you have these details that are true and definitely happen. But as Matthew's hearing them, he's like, wow, I've heard this before. The, you know, this, <laughs> These are the stories we'll tell our kids about. This is about the birth of Moses. Yeah. But no, this is the birth of the Messiah, the final redeemer. I can't imagine being a kid at that time hearing this story. Of, no, no, no. That happened with Moses, but it happened again with Jesus. Yeah. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. Well, and it's so interesting, as we were discussing just a moment ago, you look back at the conditions surrounding Moses' birth. Mm-hmm. You got a you got a jealous king yeah. who's killing babies. Yeah. What happens in the New Testament? You got a jealous king who's killing babies. Yeah. Um, why? Because they want to protect their power. And so there are so many connections there. Egypt, where does Jesus go? Where do, where do Mary and Joseph take him? Well, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Yep. Interesting. You have the 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 already of that in the Old Testament as God brought His people out of Egypt, and then you have the not yet in the Old Testament. But when we look to the New Testament, God is going to call Jesus out of Egypt, and so so many connections. Yet again, illustrating that none of this is an accident. Mm. All of this is the hand of God sovereignly leading and guiding the world. For the glory of God, through Christ, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Jeff, this has been another awesome episode. And again, we want to thank Jordan Evans for recording today's episode. Thank Thank you you very much, Jordan. Yes, absolutely. So, Jeff, Christmas is this weekend. We have our Christmas Eve service and our Christmas Day service. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? So, Christmas Eve, Saturday, December the 24th. We will have our in-person Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. right here at First Baptist Church, the corner of 12th and Chestnut. Uh, We will live stream that event by way of our box cast. But we would love for you, whether you regularly attend First Baptist Church or not, to, to come and bring your friends, bring your family. It's such a sweet, sweet moment as we come, not for a long service, but for a service in which we remember the Christmas story, uh, in which we celebrate communion, and in which we end our service by singing Silent Night uh, as we pass the light from the Christ candle 
as we pass that from one to another throughout the sanctuary and as the lights come down and we sing together a 204-year-old song in the context of a 204-year-old church, it to me is just one of the most amazing moments of the year. But if you can't make it, and even if you can, we want to encourage you to tune in to WBKO ABC on Saturday, December the 24th at 6 p.m. Jordan, you have done an amazing amount of work in recording an experience that is that is great uh, and filled with great music of the season. So I just I, I hope folks will, uh, if they can focus on it, focus on it. Definitely record it so you can focus on it. But if nothing else, have it on in the background of your family gathering because you and your family, your friends, will be blessed by the experience. So that's Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, on WBKO ABC and by way of our live stream. You can access that at firstbaptistbg.org. And then Christmas Day. Christmas Day is a Sunday this year, so we will not have Sunday school. Uh, a few adult classes are choosing to meet, but by and large, nobody's having Sunday school. We'll have a donut fellowship. Lauren Parrish had this idea. Yeah. So if you want to come at 9, and uh, beginning at 9, and have some donuts and coffee and orange juice and those sorts of things, please feel free to come. And then at 11 a.m., we will have Christmas Day worship, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But there is one change for Christmas Day if you are a broadcast viewer. And I, I really want to brag on WBKO because they've been really good to us. Yes. Um, well, on Christmas Day, there are sporting events on ABC and Fox that the networks are mandating will supersede our broadcast. So they're pushing us off. But WBKO has been kind enough to put our broadcast on their CW station. So WBKO CW. Christmas morning, I don't know what channel that is where you are, but you can go through your cable or you can look it up on uh, your favorite search engine and find it. And we would love for you to join us either in person or by way of our broadcast, 11 a.m., Sunday morning, WBKO CW. Thank you, Jeff. Can you pray us out for today? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, as we embrace this week leading up to the celebration of the birth of Christ, we are so thankful for everything that that means. But Lord, I pray that you would stir our souls with the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Lord, let that message grip us and stir our souls as we gather with people that we love, as we eat wonderful foods, as we celebrate wonderful traditions. May all of it cause us to look to you to grow closer to you, and to rest more fully in your amazing love. We pray these things trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.